Oh, wow, wow, wow. We're here together. There, I gave three wows because when I think about it, wow, first uh, we're here. We haven't been like this, at least in person. We have the drive-in service, which was wonderful for those that were able to be there, um, but this is different. We get to see one another. We get to encourage one another in song, and so I'm, I'm saying wow for that reason. The second reason why I'm saying wow this morning is when I uh, think about 2020. It's going exactly like I expected. How about you guys, right? Uh, I saw a, a picture online of um, a cartoon of a bunch of aliens, and they said, July's coming, we're up next, um, meaning everything that's been taking place in our world is like, how much more crazier can, can things get? I don't think any of us in our wildest imagination could have imagined at the start of 2020 just what our world would be experiencing, what our nation even currently would be experiencing. We find ourselves in, in a place where, I don't know about you, but for me, many times I'm thinking, how do I process this? How do I think about these things? And how do I, if I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a, a Christian, uh, how do I engage in the world around me in, in these days? If it's not with the coronavirus and COVID and, and all that that means, how should we think about that? It's, it's what we see happening with the protests in our nation and, and just the, the, the turmoil. And we see, we see people who are angry. We see people who are, are grieving. And, and, and so there's all of these things that are happening that make me just say, wow, like what, what do we do with this? But then I had one more wow. I had a third wow. The third wow is the wow that we're going to see today from God's word. The wow that says, would you believe that despite how unprecedented these times are and everything that we're experiencing, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ actually has a word for us? Today we're going to be looking at a parable of Jesus. It's what we've been doing the last month or so. Looking to Jesus, hearing from Jesus about who he says we are to be, who Jesus says his, his kingdom is about. And as we hear from him, would you believe that he actually gives us his word to lead and to guide through these times? The parable we're going to see today is in Luke chapter 18. And what it really addresses, dear church family, is it addresses what is the heart that we are to have in the world in which we live today. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. That's where we're going to be this morning. It actually follows a parable that we had looked at previously. It was a few weeks ago, some parables on prayer. We're going to look at um, the parable. It's known in the scriptures as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It starts in verse 9. I want to give you a moment to, to ultimately get there because I'm just going to read it in its entirety this morning, and then we're going to hear from Jesus. So are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? Eyes of all I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to the heavens, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be, what? Exalted. This dear church family is the word of God 
Jesus speaking to us. Today, as we consider this parable, as we consider what Jesus has to say to us as a church, I want to do something just very simple. I want to answer two very simple questions with you from the text. Are you ready for these questions? They're not going to be hard to remember. The first question is this. Who is this parable for? That's the first question we're going to answer. If we're going to want to know the, the, the heart that Jesus desires his followers to have, we've got to answer this question. Who is this parable for? The second question that we're going to look at this morning is the question of what message does Jesus have for the people that he has this parable for? So, so who's this parable for, and then what's the message that he has for them? Pretty simple, right? Easy to follow? That's what we're going to do. That's kind of the outline. Who's the parable for, and what's the message that he has for them? So we're going to take those questions in order. We're going to take the first question, who is this parable for? Sometimes Jesus is very explicit in his teaching of who he's talking to and why he's talking to them, and other times he's not. This is a time when he's abundantly clearer, so it seems. Look at verse 9 with me again. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There it is, isn't it? Verse 9. Jesus is going to tell this parable, and he's telling it to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. But my question for us is, what does that actually mean? I mean, who's this really for? What does it mean to trust in yourself that you're righteous, and what does it actually mean to treat others with contempt? Like, are we clear on that? Because if we're not clear on that, then we won't know ultimately who this parable is for. So let's take the first thing. What does it mean to trust in yourself that you're righteous? Well, to be righteous is to be declared right, to meet some standard that has been set forth so that you are acceptable to the person, organization, or whoever has created that standard. So to be righteous is to be declared right. Now, Jesus says this is a parable for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But see, we have to understand it's not just for people who have been declared right. It's a people who believe then that because of what they have done or what they do or because of who they are, that they've met some kind of standard and are therefore acceptable. When you apply for a job, when you apply to a college, what you attempt to do is put forth credentials to show yourself that you should belong either to that job or to that school or to whatever it is. So we've all experienced these times in our lives where we have tried to justify ourselves. And I'm not saying that that was wrong. You should put forward those credentials. But Jesus is coming in this parable, and he's talking to people who aren't believing that they're righteous enough in order to get into a a job or into a college. He's talking to people who believe that based upon what they have done or what they do or do not do, that God will accept them. That's the standard that he's talking about. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you a parable that is for people who believe that they are right with God because of the things that they do or the things they don't do. You're tracking with me. That's the first thing that we need to understand. But there's something else. When you look at this parable and you think about a person who believes that they can do something in order to merit God's acceptance, if I can break it down even more simply, that kind of person we identify as someone who is, are you ready for this? Self-righteous. So Jesus is actually coming here and he's saying, I'm going to tell you a parable and it's for people who are self-righteous. 
but not just self-righteous. They're people who are proud. And why do we say that? Because there are people who, because they believe that what they do or don't do makes them acceptable to God, they treat others with what? Contempt. When was the last time you used the word, oh, stop treating that person with contempt? Like, that's kind of fallen out of vernacular. For, for our young people here, our high schoolers, uh, our junior hires, I wonder when was the last time you, you said to your friend, stop treating me with contempt. We don't use it. So what, what does it actually mean? Well, to treat someone with contempt is to treat someone as though they are less than you, that they do not have value or they do not have worth. That's what it means to treat someone with contempt. In fact, the better way to understand contempt is to think about the opposite of it. When you're not treating someone with contempt, you're treating them as though they have value, as though they have worth. You treat them with respect. You treat them with deference. And so Jesus is coming, and he's saying, I want to tell a parable to a group of people who are self-righteous and proud. They, they believe that because of who they are and what they do, they're acceptable to God. And when they look at other people, they view them as less than them. They treat them with contempt. They do not value them. And their actions and their speech betray this. So who is this parable for? Well, we could say just very simply, it is for those who are proud, self-righteous, and treat others as less than themselves. And this, then, then just to, to show us, because Jesus, I believe, sometimes thinks that we might be slow, and we are, to, to actually get the message that he's trying to do, he goes and he tells a parable in order to illustrate this type of person. You heard me read the parable, but let's look at it one more time. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other, a tax collector. Now, really quick. Unless you're familiar with the geopolitical, socio-economical context of the day, you probably, along with myself, don't have a really good grasp of who these two people are. We don't have Pharisees today like they did in Jesus' day. We have tax collectors, but it's not what you think, okay? He's not talking about an IRS agent. My uncle was one for a while, so don't rip on those guys, okay? So there's just, you know, no judgment here, right? We're going to, no, no judgment. Who is a Pharisee? Pharisees were good people. In Jesus' day, if you were, a, you were a mom of a boy, you wanted your boy to grow up to be a Pharisee. These were, these were people who sought to obey and live out the law of, of God. They were upstanding citizens. They knew the Old Testament law backwards and forwards. They held themselves to a very high standard. They were a people that on the face of it believed that based on what they did, God would accept them. And if you saw a Pharisee in Jesus' day and you were somewhat religious, you would think to yourself, man, if, if you could be accepted by God based upon the way that you live your life, yeah, those guys are getting in. Those are the guys. Pharisees were good people. They were the people that, that, that others wanted to, to emulate. Now, these tax collectors, did you know that in Jesus' day, anybody could be a tax collector? Any, any male Jewish man could actually be a tax collector. In order to, to get the occupation of a tax collector in Jesus' day, you had to purchase the right from Rome to do so. 
So what's wrong with being the tax collector outside of the fact that nobody likes to give up their money that they earn, right? You see, tax collectors were viewed as wicked, evil, traitorous men by their countrymen. Because when you paid for the right to be a tax collector, by being a tax collector, what you would do is you would go out into your community and you would tax people, take money from them to give back to Rome in order to support the armies of Rome. Do you know what's wrong with that if you're a Jew? Rome was occupying Israel in that day. And so tax collectors were literally raising money for the people who were oppressing them. The people who had raped and murdered their own countrymen, tax collectors paid the right to make money off of the backs of their own people. Do you see why they were considered wicked and evil? And so Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story about a Pharisee. Oh, Pharisees, you know, but like that's what the people would have thought. We are Pharisees if you've been around church and we're like, oh, Pharisees, bad, right? Like that's how we, that's what we grow up thinking. And Jesus is saying, don't think like them. Or don't think like us, think like them. They're like, oh, Pharisees, good people, tax collectors, boo. And so that's how it starts. And they both go up to the temple to pray. Now, if you were hearing this parable, you'd think, shocker, a tax collector going to the temple to pray? So Pharisees, the good guy of the story up to this point. Tax collector is the bad guy. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tithe of all that I get. But the tax collector standing off, far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask the question, who's this parable for? We said it's for people that are self-righteous and proud. You tell me, based on what I just read, on your just initial reading, who's the self-righteous and proud person, and who's the person that's not. All of a sudden, the story switches. It's, it's not the Pharisee who's the good guy of the story. It's not the Pharisee who's the example of how you're to live your life. All of a sudden, the story switches as you hear it. You immediately, I immediately identify this Pharisee as the one who is self-righteous and proud. Because he believes in his heart that he's absolutely right with God. And he believes it for two reasons. Did you hear it in his prayer? The first reason that he believes that he's right with God is that he does not do the bad things that others do. He literally compares himself to others. He says that he does not rob people. He does not treat people unfairly. He doesn't sleep with other men's wives or betray his countrymen like this tax collector. He says, I'm righteous because of what I don't do. I don't do what other people do. God must be pleased with me. Versus what he says next, where he comes and he says, but beyond that, or I should say in addition to that, he says, look at the things I do do. You know, the law of Moses only requires us to fast once a year, but I fast twice a week. And not only that, I tithe on all that I get, not just the surplus. He's holding himself up 
Jesus shares the prayer of the Pharisee to illustrate the self-righteousness and contempt that this man had and to say this is what self-righteousness looks like. This is what contempt looks like. It's walking around and believing that you are right with God because of what you do and what you don't do and then comparing yourself to others and thinking of people because of what they do or don't do that they're less than you. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at this story and to identify, yeah, the Pharisee, what a proud, self-righteous person. But by the way, Jesus does something when he draws our attention to this Pharisee. Like he gets a bad rap, and, and rightfully so. But did you notice, when he went into the temple, does it say that, that he proclaimed these things out loud and boasted of them in order to be heard? Where was he standing? Did you see it in the story? It says that he stands off by himself. Why is that important? Because as this Pharisee um, betrays his self-righteousness, he, he's not doing it before everyone so everyone can see it. It's, it's, it's revealing that deep down in, this, in, his, in his heart, he believed these things to be true. He, he wasn't trying to, to, to put the, the tax collector down in the tax collector's presence. He did it in the quietness of his own communication with God. It's just how insidious his self-righteousness was. So again, let's ask the question, who is this parable for? Well, based on everything that we have just considered, it's for those who are self-righteous and proud and treat others and think of others as not having the same value and worth as them. So that is who the parable is for. But this does beg the question, church family, who qualifies as self-righteous and proud? Like, we now know intellectually who this parable is for. It's for the self-righteous and proud and those who think of others as less than themselves. But who does it really apply to? I want to say what I'm about to say as lovingly and as kindly as I possibly can. Who is this parable for? It is for every single one of us here today. We are all, as I will show in just a moment, vastly more self-righteous and proud than we could ever imagine. Uh, should I say this? I'm going to. Okay, here we go. The sweetest person in our church that you're picturing right now, whoever they are, is just as self-righteous and proud as the Pharisee here. And the person that you're thinking of in your mind who this should really apply to is just as self-righteous and proud as you think they are. And guess what? So are you. We can say this because Jesus says that the fruit of self-righteousness, at least according to this story, is contempt. Thinking of others and treating others with contempt. 
it's easy for me to read this parable and to think of other people and how it might apply to them. But if contempt is a fruit of self-righteousness and pride, and the opposite of contempt is treating others with love and respect, are you ready for this? This isn't going to be fun. I had to go through it first. I'm sharing it with you. That means this week, every time you did not treat someone as though they had worth and value, you treated them with contempt, and you did so because you were self-righteous in your spirit. So every time you yelled at your kids this week, you were showing them contempt and therefore self-righteousness. Anytime you were cold with your spouse, anytime you talked over your spouse, you were showing them contempt. Anytime you badmouthed or ridiculed a friend or coworker, you were showing them contempt. Anytime you were watching the news this week and heard someone say something you did not agree with and you said to yourself or the person next to you, that person's an idiot, you were showing contempt. Anytime you saw the protesters and immediately passed judgment on those protesters for why they were protesting without actually talking to them or knowing what was in their heart, you were showing contempt and your own self-righteousness. Anytime, my dear teenage friends, and I know that you're here, my junior hires and high schoolers, you were on social media and you ridiculed or made fun of somebody else in their post, you were showing contempt. Anytime you stopped listening to someone because you couldn't wait to correct them, you were showing contempt. Anytime you raised your voice in an argument, anytime you thought, I know better than them, they need to listen to me, you acted with contempt, period, end of story. We're all self-righteous and proud, far beyond anything we could ever imagine. And if you're sitting here right now and thinking, I'm overplaying this, you're self-righteous and proud. (laughs) Not because I just said that, but because God our Father says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And the heart of a man is deceitful and wicked beyond compare. Who can understand it? I can't overplay this point enough. Who is this parable for? It's for all of us. That's who it's for. And the reason why he told this parable is because the message that Jesus has for self-righteous and proud people. This parable is first and foremost, did you know that, a parable of warning for all of us. And the parable is a, is a source of warning for us because did you see at the very end what he says? See, here's the very first thing, the first warning is this. We said, who is this parable for? It's for us. And now we're going to hear why he gave this parable. What is the message that he has for us? Are you ready? Here it is. Self-righteous and proud people have no place in Christ's kingdom. That's what he says in verse 14. If you don't deal with your self-righteousness and pride, he comes and he says, you will not be justified. You will not be declared right before God. You cannot be a part of God's family. Why do we need to understand the sin of self-righteousness and pride and its manifestation of contempt? It's because if you don't see this, if you don't own this, here's the reality. 
There's no place for you in Christ's kingdom. Just look at verse 14 again. I'm not making this stuff up. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the humbling that he's talking about there is not just a, oh, now I see. It's a judgment. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Why? Just so that he could come with a two-by-four and smack them across the head and say, you self-righteous and wicked people, you're all going to hell? Yeah, that's part of actually why he said it, because he wants us to know the seriousness of self-righteousness and pride. And, and he wants us to, to do something, which is not to be blind to it. Because... When I read this parable, does it appear that the Pharisee has any idea that he's self-righteous and proud? Does he? He comes before God, and what's the very first thing that he says? This is how blind we can be to our self-righteousness and pride. He comes and he says, God, I thank you. Okay, that's good prayer. You should start your prayers with that. God, I thank you. But then he says what? That I'm not like other men. This guy was blind to it. So blind to it. And so this parable is a parable of warning and it's a parable that says not only that the people who have self-righteousness and pride that's undealt with don't get into Christ's kingdom, it's also a parable that comes and says, yeah, but here's the thing too, you can be blind to it and this parable is to expose it to us for this very purpose. Because this isn't just a parable of warning and judgment. It's a parable that's ultimately also given to give us hope. Like, we had to get through all this bad stuff first, church, before we could get to this good stuff. This is ultimately, though, a parable that has warning, but a parable that has hope. You see, you know why we can say that this is a parable that has hope? Because there are actually two people in this parable who are self-righteous. We've already said that the Pharisee is self-righteous. But the tax collector is self-righteous too and proud. You might say, but he comes and he, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah, yeah, because he knows he's a sinner. He knows that he's self-righteous. That's the difference between him and the Pharisee. The Pharisee doesn't see it. The tax collector does. He doesn't hide from it. He owns it. And because he owns it, look at what Jesus says. These are glorious words. These are good news words. It says, I tell you, this man, the one who was self-righteous and proud, a sinner, the one who betrayed his countrymen, the one who sought riches at the expense of others, this man went down to his house justified because he faced his self-righteousness and pride. He dealt with it. And how did he deal with it? Well, Jesus again tells us the answer. The only proper response to being aware of our self-righteousness and pride is humility. Humility before God, church, is the only solution to address and overcome the self-righteousness and pride that exists within every single human heart. And I need to say this. Without your humility before God... One can never be saved. Without an ongoing humility before God, one can never continue to walk as a follower of Jesus. 
It is not as though we humble ourselves once before God and we're good the rest of our lives. This is Jesus coming to us and saying, you want to know the heart that Christ followers have? It is a heart of humility before me. What the tax collector shows us here is what genuine humility looks like before God when we are faced even daily with our self-righteousness and pride. And so you say, what, what does this actually look like to, to, to demonstrate this kind of humility? Well, the tax collector shows us, one, you have to acknowledge your sin of self-righteousness. No one gets into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is telling us, until a humbling has taken place where you acknowledge your sin before God. There is none righteous, no, not one, and none of us will ever be justified before God based upon merit. Are, are we clear on that? Like, that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not a message that comes and says, you do these things and God accepts you. Christianity is a message that comes and says, there is nothing that you can do. In fact, all your good deeds that you perceive are as filthy rags, and it's only by the grace of God that you can be forgiven and be saved. If there is a group of people who should shine as lights in the world every single day as a beacon of what genuine humility looks like, it's those who profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Because, because we don't come to church believing that we are cleaned up and we're beautiful and we're perfect based upon the things that we do. You are surrounded. Look at, I just told you. Look at the person next to you. Just do it right now. If it's a friend, just look at your friend. You're looking at a self-righteous and proud person right now. Like you are looking at someone who in their very heart and mind is a sinner and needs to be saved by something outside of themselves, and that something is Jesus Christ. And so our relationship with God it only starts when we confess our sin to him and acknowledge our need as a save, for a Savior in Jesus Christ. But here is, look, if you haven't done that yet, I, I pray that today you would own up to that and that you would confess your sin and need for a Savior. Because I want you to know the forgiveness and the peace and the righteousness that comes to you through Jesus. But when I look out at all of you, I'm looking out at a vast body of believers that I believe have already done that. But I'm here to tell you, this parable comes to us and says, don't ever stop doing that. Don't ever stop when you see self-righteousness and pride in your own heart from daily acknowledging your sin before the Lord and secondly, confessing it to your God and then knowing His forgiveness because ultimately, Every day that you have air in your lungs, and I have air in my lungs, the only reason we do not fall under the judgment of our God is because he has been merciful to me, a sinner. And so we, of all people, we, as followers of Jesus Christ, hear this parable, and we should see ourselves in the tax collector see ourselves as the ones who recognize the sin in our lives, especially the sin of self-righteousness, and say, Lord, you have been merciful to me. Continue to be merciful to me. And then 
And then the application of all of this is that we go on living in this world as a humble people. And so when I started, I said that ultimately what Jesus says to us is that in and through this parable, you want to know the heart that followers of Jesus Christ have? They are a people with humble hearts, a humility before God, but then, and now here's where I'm going to start to land this plane, a humility before other people. It was just a little while ago in the message that I went down that list and I said, if you did this this week, you were showing contempt. If you did that this week, you were showing contempt. I want to tell you, the more you listen to yourself, the more you pay attention to the way you think about others. See, I want to share my burden with you this week. As I was preparing this week, just just running this over in my mind, like what self-righteousness is, what contempt is. I found that in a 24-hour period, I told Pastor Paul this, I believe. I said, I said, I, I almost couldn't speak, say, or think anything <laughs> because the depths to which we are constantly passing judgment on other people and treating people with contempt. And God comes to us and says, oh, but Dave, oh, but Valley Center Community Church, when you go back and you reflect upon your true condition before me, and when you really are open and honest about your sin and you humble yourself before me, what that then will begin to produce in you is a humility towards others. And that's the heart I want you to have. Goodness, church, there's an entire chapter in the Bible, almost an entire chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul comes and says, have this same mind in you that was in Christ. That though he was in the very form of, of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If my Savior walked in humility while he lived on this earth, how much more should we? So I just wonder. I can't make you see it, but God's Spirit can help you. Do you see yourself as self-righteous? Do you see yourself as proud? Do you recognize the need for a humbling to daily take place in your life? Here's what I would pray for Valley Center Community Church. As we hear the words of our Savior, that that would be something that manifests in us. And you can know, you can know when you're dealing with your self-righteousness and pride before the Lord because, because here's some of the fruit that I think happens. I'm just going to put it on the lower shelf because that's where I need to get it. I know that I'm living in the humility that comes from looking to Jesus and humbling myself before my God because I listen first and I speak second. I listen to my wife and am patient with her not seeking to correct or to insert myself, but listening. When humility is really my heart and mind in Jesus, I'm patient with my kids. I don't in, engage in tearing people down or I don't engage in being passive aggressive. I seek to bear the burdens of those who are hurting. 
when you look at your actions this past week, do you see that humility that flows from understanding our true need and the depths of our own sin? We're living in a world right now where we as Christians, especially here in America, a lot of people have come to me and they've asked the question, and I've been asking it of myself. You know, we, we look at the protests that are taking place. We see the rioting that's taking place. We, we see people who are expressing hurt, and we see people expressing pain. And, and people are saying, um, what do we think about that? How do we engage that? What is there for us to do? I read a parable like this, and Jesus comes and says, the first thing you do is you say, where's your heart at? Are you someone who is humble before me? And is that humility on display to where are you quick to listen and slow to speak or are you quick to get angry and pass judgment on those who are out there? Do you have the patience to, to listen to others? It's not, it's not condoning what is evil. By no means. We condemn what is evil. We exalt what is good. But it's saying are we in our positioning towards others, those who see ourselves as better than or who know more or if they would just listen to me or do we come and we say, humility says. Humility says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to point the finger. Over and over again, God's people are people who walk in love. And just to prepare you, do you think it's easy to walk in humility? Do you, think, do you think it will come naturally to you to put to death self-righteousness and pride? God's word says something to us. Are you ready for this? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Huh. He gives grace to the humble. Do you know why he gives grace to the humble? Because you're going to need grace to be humble. <laughs> You're going to need the grace of Jesus Christ to be in a position where you don't make those quick judgment calls, where you don't tear other people down to build yourself up. You're going to need grace to humble yourself before God and to face your sin every day knowing that he still loves and forgives you. So as we go forward as the people of God, believing as the mission of our churches that we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus tells us in this parable, and you know what it will look like when you're my disciple? When you walk in humility before me and you walk in humility before others. What a beautiful, beautiful message that will be to our families, to our friends, to our communities, if this, if this is what marks us as the people of God. Not self-righteousness and pride, but a humility before others. Would you pray with me? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We're going to ask for it right now, Lord. What we're going to ask for is that you would give us humble hearts. That we would see, confess, acknowledge, and trust in your mercy for the self-righteousness and pride that continues to exist in all of our hearts. Lord, we celebrate and we say thank you that in and through the work of Jesus Christ, you freed us from the penalty and the power of sin, Lord. And as we still live in a world with the presence of sin, Lord, 
May we see your grace to come before you to address what exists in our hearts and minds daily so that we might be the light of Christ in the communities and in the homes and in the places, Lord, where you have called us to walk as your disciples. So we pray and we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.